This morning, I want to start in Romans 4, which is Paul's treatise on why salvation was always by faith. It was never God's plan that the Old Testament Jews would have to obey the old law perfectly and earn their way into heaven. But he's arguing in favor of the fact that God has always only required faith, that Abraham, before the law, was considered righteous by faith. And I don't have time to go into all of what Paul is writing here, but we're going to read these just six verses uh, this morning where Paul uses the story of Abraham to uh, convince these Jewish believers that Abraham was made righteous by his faith in God apart from his good deeds because he didn't even have the law. He lived hundreds of years before Moses. So that you know what's going on, I need to go back to Genesis and tell you the story because we're not going to go back and reread seven chapters of Genesis. So here's the story that Paul is referring to when we get to Romans 4. Beginning in Genesis 12, uh, 13, 14 through uh, Genesis, uh, well, most of the rest of Abraham's story, but on up through chapter 18 particularly, God comes to Abraham at the first point where God promises Abraham that he's going to have a son and that he will become the father of many nations. Abraham is 90 years old and his wife is 80 and they have no children and God says "Uh, Abraham I'm changing your name from Abram to Abraham I'm going to make you the father of many nations and Abraham has no children at all God says I'm going to make you the father of multitudes and then begins this story and we go to Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah and we go through several different episodes in the story but it continues all the life story of Abraham The rest of his life is regarding this promise that I have made you the father of a great nation. So several years pass by and Abraham asks God. He still doesn't have a son. He says, God, how about that promise you made me uh, quite a few years ago? God, I ain't getting any younger. And my wife isn't getting any younger. And uh, she couldn't have kids when she was 22. And now she's 85 and nothing's happening. And God comes and there's this episode where God cuts a covenant with Abraham and it's one of the weirdest stories in the Bible. They cut a cow in half and God walks back and forth in between it and it's too much to go into. But there's this covenant that God makes with Abraham and several more years go by and nothing still happens and God shows up in human form, in the flesh. He shows up to Abraham and Sarah and he tells Sarah, a year from now, Sarah is now 89 years old and God tells her, a year from now you will be nursing an infant. And she laughs in God's face, as all of you women would. God says, a year from now, you are going to be nursing an infant. And ha! That's a good one, God. And God says, why did you laugh? And not only does she laugh in God's face, when he asks her why you laugh, she lies to God's face and says, I didn't laugh. And God says, yes, you did. But it's going to happen anyway. And a year from that point she is he does in fact at 90 years old give birth to Isaac and then the story is not done there that's not the fulfillment of the promise the promise is not that he would have one son the son the promise is that he would have millions of descendants and so the story continues on where as Hagar and Ishmael have to be sent away and then there's the, we get to where and Isaac is maybe 33 or 35 years old where God tells him you have to lay him on the altar and kill him and we're told in the New Testament, you know, God, Abraham's like, God, this is the son of promise. This is, what, he, what is this? But he, he does it. 
He takes Isaac up and lays him on the altar, and he raises the knife, and the New Testament says he was, he was going to kill him. He, he believed that God would raise him from the dead because he has to, because this is the son of promise. This is my son of promise. And, but he didn't know God was going to freeze him and say, oh, wait, Abraham, I was just testing you. Abraham had to know that he had to obey all the way. So the story is not just this one episode where a 90-year-old woman gets pregnant. The story is the 10 years of faith up to she conceives a child and gets pregnant, and then the next 30 to 35 years, where once Abraham has laid down his son on the altar and given him to God, and then God says, now I can make you many nations. Because not only did you see me fulfill the promise, but you gave it back to me, and you were willing to kill it in faith and obedience toward me. So there's this 45-year story, the 10 years before Isaac is born and at least 35 years after he's born before we even get to the beginning of the fulfillment of these promises. So this is the story that Paul has in mind when he writes this passage. We're just going to look at these six verses in Romans 4. Therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who, contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations, According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised he was also able to perform. And therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. So what we're going to do this morning is... is look at key phrases in each of these verses individually. God tells us about the faith of Abraham. What is God looking for? What does God expect from Abraham? And therefore, he is our father in the faith. He is our model. How should we have faith in God? So let's look at verse 16. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. The first phrase I want to bring out of that verse is, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, and the promise might be sure. The first thing that this tells us is that Abraham received the promise by faith. In context here, Paul is contrasting it to anything Abraham did. Abraham didn't do anything. You can't. When you're 100 years old, you can't do anything to father a child. Your body either works or it doesn't, and he knew his didn't. So it is of faith. It says Abraham was sure about God's promise. So the first thing I want to point out about Abraham's faith is that he was confident. Faith is, Hebrews 11.1, faith is being fully convinced about what you haven't seen yet. This is not a story, folks. These are real people. Put yourself in their place. When Abraham is 90 and Sarah is 80, God says, you're going to conceive a child. All the older ladies are thinking, I'm glad God don't tell me that. 
And all the older men are like, no, nope, we've been there, done that, not going back. Come on. And then when they're 190, it still hasn't happened. But he was absolutely convinced that what God said would come to pass. That's faith. Abraham's faith is confident. Philippians 1.6 says, Be confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says, He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Whatever promises God has given you, whatever situation you are in, whatever word of God applies to your life and your situation, be confident. He will do it. He will do what he said he's done. I told you a couple weeks ago, faith is not this passive trust where we pray and say, well, I guess we'll just have to wait and see what God does. No, faith knows what God will do because it reads the word and says, there's what God will do, and I receive it, and I say yes and amen, and I believe it. Right? There are situations where you don't know, and you, we just have to pray and, and wait on God. Scripture is full of commands to wait on the Lord. Waiting on God is not the opposite of faith. But faith is, is active. Faith is confident. I know exactly what God will do, and I believe it, and I say yes. The other thing here is it says that Abraham received the promise with faith. His, the promise was of faith. Abraham received it with faith. He had to judge that God was faithful. Talked about that last Sunday. Well, our faith is in God's, God's character and in his word. We have to decide that God is trustworthy, that he's dependable. Hebrews 11.11 says, Sarah herself received faith to conceive a child when she judged God faithful. Except that she didn't. In Genesis 18, God shows up in human form and he says, Sarah... You're 89 years old, and a year from now, you're going to be nursing a child. Ha! That's a good one, God. And then he says, why did you laugh? I didn't laugh. Yes, you did. You did laugh. <laughs> Somewhere, Hebrew, then Hebrews 11, 11 says, Sarah had faith. She judged God faithful. So somewhere in the next three months... Through maybe conversations with Abraham, maybe just in her own heart, maybe deciding uh, in the privacy of her own heart in the middle of the night, I have to believe this. Somehow, in three months, she goes from laughing in God's face and lying about it to, I believe. I am 89 years old and I am going to have a baby. That's wild. That, that's wild. That's faith. You judge God faithful. To trust God that the promise is sure. The next verse, verse 17. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed. God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. A couple of phrases here I want to draw out. The have made and the God calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Notice God comes to Abraham 10 years before Isaac is born. He has no children. It's going to be generations before he has thousands of descendants. But God says, I have made you the father of many nations. Past tense. God, when he... When he thinks something, when he decides something, it is done. Whether it has happened yet or not, it's already done. 
It's going to be 10 years before Isaac is born. It's going to be 45 years before God actually gets around to beginning the fulfillment of the promise when Isaac gets married and all of this. But God says, no, it's already done because I have decreed it from the throne of heaven. It's already a done deal. I have made you. He doesn't say, I'm going to make you 10 years from now. He doesn't say, I am making you the father of many nations. No, I, it's already done. I have made you the father of many nations. Because God calls those things which do not exist as though they did. The first thing I want you to see in this verse is that faith speaks. God speaks to create anything. And he has to speak over Abraham to create his purposes for Abraham. And he has to change Abraham's name and make Abraham say that for 10 years before anything happens. God is calling that which does not yet exist as though it does. So he says, Abraham, Abram, I'm going to change your name to Abraham and I want you to go around and introduce yourself to everyone as the father of millions. Is God telling Abraham to lie? No, because it's already done. It's not a lie when you really believe it, that it's already true. Do you see? Faith speaks. God creates everything by speaking. Romans 10.10 says, With the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And Joel 3.10 says, Let the weak say, I am strong. Is God telling us to lie when we feel weak and defeated and depressed and down and all of our problems are overwhelming us? Is God telling us to lie? No, he isn't. Because as I told you a couple weeks ago, faith lives like it's true now, even before it happens. Live like it's true. Speak like it's true. Think like it's true. Because it is true. It just hasn't happened yet. Whatever God has said in his word is going to come to pass. There are things in this book that are 3,000 years old that have not happened yet. But we believe that they are going to happen. It is true. It is already decided. It is decreed by the God of the universe. It's done. The end of the story is already written. But we haven't experienced yet. So in the meantime, we have to live in faith. Faith lives like it's true before it happens. When God says, let the weak say I am strong, he's not telling us to lie. He's telling us, speak what I have said is true. Because what God says is true is... I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's true whether we feel like it today or not. You may feel really, really weak and depressed and defeated and broken and broke. But if the weak go around saying, oh, I'm so weak, what good does that accomplish? What good does it do to complain? Even when it's true. Oh, I'm in such pain. What good does that do except you to keep you in pain? It does no good to go around complaining about how sick you are. If you have a broken marriage and you go around to all the other ladies telling them how bad your marriage is, that is not accomplishing anything except keeping you in a terrible marriage. If you speak grace and love and hope and restoration to your husband, even when it isn't happening, that's faith. If you're always complaining about how broke you are and how much you hate your job and what a jerk your boss is, You're creating that reality in your own head. But if you are thankful for your job and you thank God that he will provide even when you don't know how it's going to happen, you create that by 
calling that which is not as though it were. It's not denying circumstances. It's not um, lying. It isn't being flaky, although a lot of people do some flaky stuff with this. It is saying what God, agreeing with God, even when it doesn't look like it's happening. Faith lives like it's true, even before it happens. The next verse, 18. Contrary to hope, I'm talking about Abraham now. Contrary to hope, in hope, believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. The first phrase I want to draw out of that verse is contrary to hope. It's a really, really, really crazy promise to tell a 90-year-old woman you're going to get pregnant. I mean, that's just ludicrous. It's utter nonsense for God to come to a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman and say, a year from now, you're going to be nursing an infant. There's not a single one of us in here who would say, oh, yes, God, I believe that. Oh, yeah, I can believe that. No, it's utter nonsense. It is contrary to all hope. It is contrary to all reality. It is contrary to all common sense. But he believed anyway. Faith, Abraham's faith believes the impossible. It is literally, biologically, materially, physically impossible in every way. It's utter nonsense. But it happened. It's really true. When God gives you a promise, there will be lots and lots of reasons why it is impossible. I said there will be lots and lots of reasons why it's impossible. Whether it's financial or marital, family, your job, your health, whatever it is, whatever God promises you will be too big for you to accomplish. It will be utterly impossible. It might even be laughable. And maybe some of you have had some people laugh at you for believing what you believe. It's fine. Faith believes the impossible. God said it, so contrary to hope, in hope we're going to believe anyway. Contrary to hope. Jesus says in Mark 9, 23, if you believe, all things are possible to him who believes. In Genesis 18, during the story where God is talking to Sarah, he says, Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah will have a son. I will do it. Nothing is too hard for me. But it is still, even though we believe it's God, it's still contrary to all hope. Not only will God's promises be contrary to reality, they will be contrary to our emotions. Hello? Abraham's faith overcomes his emotions. We're going to have days of feeling very depressed, very defeated. We're going to live through tragedies. We're going to live through very, very hard stuff. And faith says, God is good anyway. God's promises are true anyway. And I believe them and I'm going to live like they're true, even though what I just experienced is the opposite of what he promised. Contrary to all hope, contrary to depression, contrary to anger, contrary to problems and deaths and tragedies, I believe anyway. That's faith. That's faith. 
1 Corinthians 2.3, Paul says that he came to the church in Corinth in weakness and fear and in much trembling. We don't know why, because he never told us. Probably because every other city he'd been in before, he got beaten up by a mob or stoned or arrested or whatever. He looks at this new city God's leading him to and he's like, I don't want to go in there. He says, I came to you in fear and in weakness and in much trembling. But he did it anyway. That's faith. It is not a lack of faith to feel weak. It is not a lack of faith to feel afraid. When God says don't be afraid, he doesn't mean don't feel afraid. Because it's really nearly impossible to control our feelings. But we can control our actions. We will have really down days where contrary to hope I have to believe. But my emotions are contrary to me. On those bad days when you're down, when you're angry, when you're feeling lost like God is not with me. On those days don't make any decisions. Don't do anything. Just sit still and do what David did in the Psalms. He reached down in there and he says, Soul, bless the Lord. Regardless of what is going on, David said, Bless the Lord, O my soul. He talks to himself and he says, Get a hold of yourself down there and let's get back into peace. Let's get back into worship and faith. So, contrary to all hope, and hope he believed anyway, he believed the impossible and he overcame his emotions. And just common sense, all the rational logic that would tell him this isn't going to happen. He's got to overcome all that. And then he became the father of many nations. That word became is a loaded word. Because if you know the story in Genesis, you know that became is 45 years. Became is 45 years. He became the father of many nations. God didn't just snap his fingers and... All of a sudden, instant promise fulfillment. You you get a scripture, you get excited, you get you're first baptized or you're baptized in the Holy Spirit or you get a prophecy and you're going to run with that and man, we're going to conquer the world in three weeks. No, he became. Sometimes there's dramatic instant healings or financial provisions or turnarounds in our life. There are God moments. Absolutely, there are moments when God shows up. But most of the time, it is you become. Over decades. Everybody say that with me. Decades. Decades. We move from where we were to who God wants us to be. And we're going to talk about next week what a faith crisis is. What to do in those moments when you feel like giving up because it's taking too long. We'll talk about that. But faith and patience. Abraham's faith is he understands this is a process and I have to be patient. He asks God questions. It's totally fine to ask God. He goes to God after the first promise. He says, hey, God, where's that promise? And God doesn't rebuke him at all. God comes down and makes a covenant with him. And Mary, when the angel appears to Mary, she says, how's that going to happen? That isn't doubt. That isn't. Something that makes God angry, if you, if you cry to God or you, like, God, I don't see any way you're going to do this, but I believe you anyway. Asking God questions, asking him to hurry up, <laughs> those kind of things don't make him angry. As long as you understand, you hang in till the end. Abraham's faith understands that it's a process. 
and he's patient. And then I want to draw out this according to what was spoken. Abraham cannot make up what he wants to happen. That's not faith. That's wishing. Setting your own goals and your own vision and your own mission statement for your life is, at best it's wishing, and at worst it's gross pride. Our faith can only be based on what God has told us he is going to do. So read the book and say yes. And that is what God will do. Our faith stands on the word of God not on our wishing or our hopes or our own goals and visions for our life. The next verse, verse 19. Not being weak in faith, he, that's Abraham, Abraham did not consider his own body, already dead, since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Abraham's faith was not weak. Jesus said we, uh, we don't need more or less, but faith can be weak or strong. That's all through Scripture. Abraham's faith was not weak, it was strong. And he did not consider his own body. Abraham's faith ignores circumstances. The dude is 100 years old. His wife is 89. And God comes and says, in a year you're going to have a baby. There's some pretty big circumstances to overcome there. But Romans, Paul tells us, Abraham ignored his own body. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says we walk by faith and not by sight. If you look around your life at all of your problems and needs and things that you have to overcome, you're going to be seriously overwhelmed real quick. Don't look at that. Abraham did not consider his own body. There are always going to be circumstances in our lives that if we look at them, They will seem impossible, they will be limiting, and they will stop what God wants to do. But if we ignore our circumstances, I don't mean deny them, like that isn't real, I don't mean that, but we ignore them. And we believe what God says, then he will do what he wants to do. So he did not consider his own body. Already dead since he was about 100 years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb. He's not writing off the fact that uh, Sarah couldn't have a baby when she was 18 or 22. I've never fathered a child. He's not denying those facts. He's just, in his faith toward God, it's not a factor. Are you with me? Your job is not a limiting factor on God's blessing in your life. Your genetics are not a limiting factor on your health. Your marriage is not a limiting factor on how much peace and joy you can have in your life. If you're going to blame other people for why you're unhappy, you're looking at your circumstances. Faith looks at Jesus. Not only does Abraham ignore his body, he's he's not considering himself in this equation. Because when you're that old, you can't do anything about it. (laughs) Abraham knows this has got to be 100% God because I can't do anything about this. I cannot make this promise come to pass. And when he tried, he really, really messed things up with Ishmael. But I just want to point out that he did not consider himself. That's humility. Faith and humility are the same thing. This humility is that Abraham says, I don't matter. All that matters is God. 
I will do anything, believe anything, go anywhere, pay any price that God tells me to do, I don't consider myself. It's the same humility that David had when he shows up and he sees Goliath. And his brothers and all the other soldiers are quaking in their boots. And David says, well, I'll go and fight him. He is not considering himself at all. He's only considering God's glory. How dare this guy blaspheme God? I'll go take care of him. And what do his brothers accuse him of? You arrogant little jerk. You're always thinking of yourself. And David had no concern at all for himself. He was only concerned with God. His brothers are the ones being arrogant because they're the ones concerned with their own skin. But who is the one that does great things? David. Who's the one that does great things? Abraham. Humility does not mean I don't do anything great. In fact, humility will be you will do things great without even knowing it. Because you do not consider yourself. If you consider your own intelligence and your own experiences and your own education and your own abilities, you will not get anything done for God. He did not consider himself. Get yourself out of the way and just believe what God has said. Next verse, 20. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. He did not waver in unbelief. Abraham's faith is bold. It's a pretty bold thing for him to go around for 10 years when he's in his 90s. Hey, I'm the father of millions. That's really bold. And I want you to call me Abraham also. (laughs) All his family and neighbors thought he'd cracked. But it's faith. Come on. It's really, really bold. He's so solidly convinced that he's really, really bold. He does not waver. Abraham's faith does not quit or doubt or worry. The subject of doubt, the definition of doubt, has been muddied through the years by people's teachings on faith. And I want to give you some hope. I want to give you some faith. I want to give you some peace this morning about your own doubts. This verse says Abraham did not waver. He did not have any unbelief. But Genesis tells us that after God made this promise, he goes to God and he says, he has this sort of meltdown moment. He's like, God, you made this promise and it isn't happening. What are you going to do? So whatever that was, questioning God, when are you going to do it and how are you going to do it, that isn't unbelief. Do you see that? Sarah laughs in God's face. The promise is too big for her to comprehend. It's blowing her mind. And for every justifiable reason, it's blowing her mind. It's too big. It's too much. I can't receive that. In fact, I reject it so strongly, I laughed in God's face. But then Hebrews 11, 11 says, Sarah had faith herself to conceive. So whatever Sarah did, when she laughs in God's face and lies to him and says, no, I don't believe this, whatever that was in the next three months, she got faith. It's never, ever too late to come to faith. It's never, ever too late to come to faith. And whatever you have had trouble believing in the past does not stop you from believing it now. Don't be condemned. Don't think, well, yeah, I'm, I'm the guy that's, James says, don't be tossed about by wind and waves of doubts, and I feel like I'm all over the place. Your emotions are not your faith. 
Your emotions are not your faith. So this says, because Abraham had a bad day, Sarah had a bad day. And neither one of them messed up what God wanted. Hello? So you may have think, I didn't believe that in the past. When I got that word or I, got, I saw that in scripture, it was, just, it was just too much. I couldn't receive it then, but now I'd really like it. Have I, have I lost it? Have I missed out? No, you have not. It is not too late to come to faith. Because this says Abraham did not waver in unbelief. So whatever emotional meltdowns he has toward God, it, it's not him wavering. Because he never left his faith. He may have left uh, the feeling of being steady and, oh yeah, I believe, I believe, yeah, it's easy for me to believe. No, it's, it's a battle. But you stay there and that's faith. The only guy in the New Testament that tells Jesus, I'm having trouble believing, Jesus doesn't condemn him. He answers his prayer. The guy says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. When he's honest, God, I'm having, I'm Jesus, I really want to believe you. I'm having trouble believing that you can, you can heal my child. Jesus says, come on, buddy, let's go. Jesus did, does define unbelief for us twice. He said, it's the people of Nazareth and the Pharisees. At Nazareth, he says he could do no mighty works there because of their unbelief. Well, what was their unbelief? It was Jesus walks into town, he starts healing people, and it says, and they were offended with him. Offense toward God for what he does that you didn't think he should have done or what you thought he should have done that he didn't do, that will kill your faith. Jesus says in Nazareth he could do do no mighty works there because of their unbelief. Their unbelief was, it says, and they were offended with him. Jesus, I expected you to do this by now and you haven't, so I quit. I'm mad at you because you haven't worked my miracle yet, so I give up. That is unbelief. Jesus of the Pharisees, it says, he marveled at their unbelief and their hardness of heart. They saw him do a miracle. They didn't have any trouble believing in the miracles. That's not their unbelief. Their unbelief was that they didn't believe who he said he was. When he said, I am the Son of God, they refused to believe him. They were offended with who he said he was and what he did and what he didn't do. Offense is unbelief. Getting mad at God because he hasn't moved yet in your situation, that's being moved and blown about by unbelief because some days you're trying to trust in him and then other days, God, I give up, I quit, I'm going to fix this myself, I've got to take action in my own hands because I don't think you're coming through. That's being blown back and forth. But having an emotional day, having a down day, falling across your bed and crying into your pillow is not unbelief. Just, just do what David did. Get it out to God. Get all the emotions out and then stand back up and say, okay, I won't be moved. I believe God. I will trust him. So when it says Abraham did not waver, it, don't think, oh, I get moved all the time. I'm a wavery person because I, because I, I cry and I have doubts and I wonder when God's going to come through and, and I'm single and I don't know how in the world God's ever going to give me a, a spouse and that's, not, that's fine. Just don't take matters into your own hands. You will screw it up. <laughs> don't, don't be moved. It's fine to express your emotions to God. Even to tell him, Lord, I'm having trouble believing. Even that is totally fine. Just don't make decisions in those moments. Because you will always do the wrong thing. 
when you move in fear or rushed to make a decision or I, I got to do this because God isn't going to come through. Don't do that. That's unbelief. Jesus, I'm mad at you because I believed you 10 years ago for that situation and you didn't do what I prayed. So I'm not going to trust you again. That's unbelief. Offense toward God. But having a down day, having an emotional day, having trouble trusting him, as long as you go to him with it, you're not moved. Amen? Okay. Abraham does not quit, doubt, or worry. But he is strengthened in faith. Abraham's faith has to be exercised. Jesus, when they asked him for more faith, Jesus said, you don't need more faith, just a mustard seed. But faith is described as weak and strong all through Scripture. And Abraham knew he had to, we, had to strengthen his faith. Your, your feelings, your temptation to quit, your feelings to give up and, and stop obeying God, this hurts too much or it's too hard, I'm too lonely or I'm too hurt, well, all that stuff, that's not sin as long as you don't act on it. But it should be a big red flashing light with an alarm going off saying, it's time to exercise, buddy. You've got to strengthen your faith in the same way you've got to exercise your body. You've got to strengthen your faith. Every day, we've got to wake up and choose, today again, I'm going to live in faith. He was strengthened in faith, and he gave glory to God. Abraham was thankful and joyful, even before Isaac was born. He is giving glory to God, based on the promise, not on the circumstantial fact. The baby had not arrived yet. He's already thanking God. Hello? He's thanking God for the promise. He's glorifying God in the promise. He's joyful and thankful. And he is praising God for an outcome that hasn't come. Because he's so convinced, rock solid convinced that what God said is true. It's true even though it hasn't happened yet. So I can thank him for it. I can praise him for it. I can celebrate. Knowing that it is true, it is established. It's a done deal. Even though it hasn't even happened. It's a done deal because God's word is rock solid. He is giving God glory as he is standing in faith. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter says, when you go through the worst fires, the worst troubles of your life, be very happy because your faith is giving God glory. In front of your family, your friends, your neighbors, and everybody that's watching, your faith is giving God glory. Even as you live through a circumstance, an outcome that hasn't come. We worship God, we thank God, we give God glory, even before we see the outcome. Because faith knows what the outcome is going to be. It hasn't happened yet, but I know it. I know what God will do. He told me. The next verse, 21, says Abraham was fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. Abraham is fully convinced God promised and is able. So again, Abraham is fully convinced. Faith is not a passive, inactive trust. Like, well, we prayed about it and we'll just see what God does. There are times when that's all you can do is wait on God. But faith is, I pray, I have the promises of God, and I act on it. 
because I know what God will do because this is his promise. I believe him. So Abraham is fully convinced what God had promised and he was able to do. So Abraham is at peace. Abraham's faith is peaceful because he is fully convinced that God is able and he will do it and I have nothing to do with it. I can't fulfill this thing anyway. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. Give all your requests to God with thanksgiving. Notice, when are we thanking God? Before He answers, we're thanking God as we're asking. Present your request to God with thanksgiving. And the fulfillment of those prayers is not in that verse. (laughs) Paul never says, after you get your answers, then you can say thank you. He says, no, present your requests with thanksgiving, and then the peace of God will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. You can have peace that passes your understanding because your understanding is, I'm still in the circumstance. I'm still in the problem. I still have this need. I still have this pain. Whatever it is, you can have peace that passes all of that. As you present your request to God, Jesus, here are my needs. Here's my troubles. Here's my problems. Here's what I need you to solve. Thank you for hearing me. Thank you for answering. This is your word. This is the promise that I know is true. Again, I'm not here to give you those this morning. That's your job. You've got to know what the Word of God says. You've got to know this is your relationship with God. I can't give you the Word of God for your specific situation. You've got to read it yourself. You've got to know what God said and who He is and what He will do. And you stand on that and you thank Him that He is faithful, that He will do what He said He will do. You thank Him even in the circumstance before it's resolved, before it's answered. We can thank Him because we know what's coming. Jesus said in Mark 11, he said, when you pray, believe you receive what you're asking for and you will have it. Notice that order. Praying, wishing prayers, just sort of shotgun prayers, hoping that something hits God up there is not faith. Jesus said, when you pray, you better believe that God is listening and that he will give you what you ask. When we pray according to his word, of course, James says that. You're not gonna, God isn't going to answer selfish prayers. But when we pray in faith, that God, you said this, this is who you are, and I believe you, and I believe you will answer this. Jesus said, believe you receive it, and then you will have it. More on that in a few weeks. And the last verse, 22. And therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Paul's whole point in writing all of this is that Abraham believed God, and that was all God needed. As far as God's concerned... That is obedience. His faith was accounted for righteousness. Get this. God says 10 years before the baby is even conceived, I have done it. 10 years before Abraham conceives Isaac, God considers Abraham as you have obeyed. Come on. God does not just consider himself to be faithful. He receives Abraham's faith as obedience, even before Abraham lives out his part in it. Your faith is righteousness before God. God is pleased. He's got a big smile. Thank you for believing me. Thank you for believing me. Thank you for not quitting. That's all I need. Let me do the rest. 
Lord Jesus, we love you. We bless you. We praise you. Thank you, Father, for teaching us what faith is. Thank you for showing us our father Abraham and how he believed you and what you did in his life, Lord. And so we put our, our faith in you now, Lord. We live in faith that your word is true, that your character is faithful. We believe you. We trust you. You are dependable. Every promise is yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Every word is true. And we will believe you and we will live like it's true even before we've seen it happen. Thank you that you are a faithful God, that your words are true, that you create reality by your words, and that you do not speak our current situation, but you speak our salvation and our redemption and our healing and our rescue and our holiness. We say yes, Lord, to every one of your words, to every one of your promises. We believe you and we trust you. Help our unbelief. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Strengthen our faith. Accomplish your will in our lives. Fulfill your promises. Fulfill your word. In Jesus' name. Amen.